walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. It's the hardest. Walk around and disregard it. Should you walk around, show you what heart is. Standing strong and proud of me, and I can't. Let's get started. Yeah, get your boots ready. We're about to go on a trip where we wrestle nobody, settling or calling it quits. You're here for the grit, betcha this stuff is amazing. You're stumbling, welcome to the bump in the apron. Step into it, the hardest part of the ring. Here to bring fun, yeah, and this art is king. It's the best thing, making sure you don't tap out. Don't go soft with the hardest part cast out. And it's not just another one, it's clear. Off the rest, in this content, none can test. Take the nonsense off the steps. You know it's nothing but Pure gems when it's coming off the chest. Get it? Now it's time to sit and relax. Get your mind blown away. Ain't no skipping this track. Have you paid more attention? No listening gap. Get everything I ever wanted. No giving it back. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Apron Bump Podcast. I am your host, Kyle, aka the hardest part of the ring this is why i fuck it i usually have my door closed for this but i open it i open it once and look what we what the fuck are you what are you trying to eat it's a magnet you fucking dildo god stupid ass got my camera all fucked up hold on let me see. so i got one of these little gimmicks here right you little, little you know like the little uh this for the this, maybe it's too visual, but it's like one of the little, it's like a magic eight ball, but it's a magnet, you know, and uh, you know it's just a little, little knickknack on my desk just to be fun. And now look at look at this cat right here. The second cat, uh, Rock, now is trying to eat the magnet because they're fucking idiots. But uh, you yeah, know, speaking of magnets, I mean this show, King of the Ring 2002. It's like two poles coming together, right? Because it's like there yeah, it doesn't uh, stick. Um, hold on. I could probably come up with a better magnet joke if I, uh, if you give me a second. Um, magnets. What we got? What we got? Um, oh, here we go. Here we go. Pretend like this is the first. Uh, I'll, I'll cut this part out in post. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of magnets, I mean, uh, look, if I'm a South Pole, this show is a North Pole because, uh, Because I attracted to it. So uh, Google magnets, if you don't get that joke. Uh, what were we here talking about? King of the Ring <laughs> 2002. Uh, what what are you what what are you doing? Can you just. You got anything to say to the people rock? No, you want to clam up now, huh? King of the Ring. 2002. Uh, how would I describe this show? Well, I think the general theme here so this is pretty much the downfall of the Attitude Era. Uh, I've been talking about it for a while now. You know, it's been a, it's it's, you know, it's a point of contention amongst wrestling fans. Like, you know, when when exactly does the Attitude Era end? And I think the strongest really argument, you know, as somebody who's been watching all of these shows in this kind of transitionary era for wrestling for WWE at least. I think this is very much the end of the Attitude Era. This very show here, uh, because the very next night on Raw is when you get that famous Vince McMahon promo, the ruthless aggression promo. 
and then you get your, you know, your, 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 your John Cena's, your Rey Mysterio's, your, your Nidia's, all, all the, all the stars that you, you've, you've gone, gone to love, uh, in years, uh, upcoming. We get that the very next night after King of the Ring. Uh, but we're here to talk about the King of the Ring event itself. And it's very, um, it's a, it's, it's a microcosm of what I've been talking about in my, uh, recent, Attitude Era reviews, you know, back to your Judgment Day, Backlash, WrestleMania, No Way Out, Ro- 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 like the entire year 2002. The general running theme here is, is, is WWE has been trying to rehash things that worked in the Attitude Era. And if uh, <laughs> you put new in front of anything or you, you try to uh, revamp uh, a gimmick to a T of what it was, like how they brought back Godfather, how they tried Goldust as a serious character. You know, Triple H, Undertaker, the main event scene is very much like what we see, even at Hogan, uh, you got your rock and all that stuff. It's very much like, okay, we had, do we have just one gear? Fans wanted something new. They were burnt out on the Attitude Era stuff, and it would take some time for WWE to figure out what exactly it was that the crowd was looking for. And I think they would eventually, uh, I think, find that in the, uh, the later, the last half of 2002 which we are entering at this point but uh king of the ring 2002 the reason I, i'm saying all this is because the main event is triple h versus the undertaker for the wwe title you got hogan and flair are very prominent in the card as well there's a lot of just old figure old relics that we you know combinations of people that we've seen same gimmicks and, uh, you know, not a lot of engaging storylines going into this show. You know, even to the extent <laughs> the, rod, the Rock had to be shoehorned into the main event. You know, he didn't have a match, but he, he had a presence presence in the main event for virtually no reason. But um, but let's we talk about it in the episode. He pretty much saved it. So I'm no complaining here. Uh, but a you uh, got to talk about it. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, has taken his ball and gone home. I think I'm the first one to use that phrase. Uh, but yes, that happened a few weeks before this show, and it caused it threw a monkey wrench into all of their plans. You know, people forget Stone Cold right before he left, he was about to enter a feud with Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Um, which you know, this kind of contradicts what I was saying earlier. I guess I suppose that's kind of them creating new stars. Um, but pretty much out of necessity because there's, there's really no other heels for Stone Cold to face. So, um, but that didn't happen, unfortunately. Uh, and who replaced Stone Cold? None other than Ric Flair. And uh, it was a bit underwhelming. But like I said, we talk about why it was and how it played out in the match itself uh, at this event. But um, yeah, other than that, I mean, we got Kurt Angle versus Hulk Hogan, which is like a funny that's just one of those matches where it's like, well, that happened. Um, we got the debut of Jamie Noble, who uh, I've probably talked about a lot on this podcast, maybe, maybe just in my head. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one of my low key favorites is Jamie Noble. And we get his uh, pay-per-view debut here uh, for the Cruiserweight title against uh, the Hurricane. And uh, that storyline, the introduction to Jamie Noble, is, it's way more insane than I remember. And uh, we get a lot into that. Um and of course, King of the Ring wouldn't be King of the Ring without King of the Ring matches. Uh, we got the semifinals. So we're down to the uh, fabulous four in Brock Lesnar, Test, 
RVD and Chris Jericho. And uh, one thing I, re- I like very much about this King of the Ring is that the stakes to it, uh, not only are you the king of the ring, uh, but you get a title match at SummerSlam in the main event, which is something that I wish they would have utilized more often, uh, even to this day. And I should also note that this is the very last King of the Ring pay-per-view ever, um, which is you know crazy. I mean, they would do King of the Ring tournaments, but they would all, like, just have the finals on a random-ass pay-per-view or even on TV or in Saudi Arabia. You know, it's just the various ways they've done it over the years. But this is the last time it's like a really, really significant tournament. So, um, yeah. 2002, man. What a year. Um, but the King of the Ring matches are probably my highlight, personally, of this show. Um, Brock Lesnar versus Test. I mean, come on now. Just two big, sweaty men slapping their dicks together, I think is the phrase. Um, but hey, if you like these kind of episodes, you like this time period, I've talked a lot about this kind of era. And you might be, you know, curious, you know, how, how did the other pay-per-views play out in the beginning of 2002 and, uh, and all that shit, right? Maybe even back to 2001, you know? Uh, the rest of the Attitude Era. Well, my friend, my hypothetical friend, go to apronbump.com, go to the Episodes tab at the top and select Attitude Era, and that'll bring you to all of my WWF Attitude Era reviews that I've done thus far, starting all the way back um, back to Royal Rumble 2001, and I've covered every pay-per-view up till now, uh, King of the Ring 02. So it's a big catalog of Attitude Era stuff for you um the invasion and all that so go check that out uh apronbomb.com also there's also a ruthless aggression era section which you know it's kind of a gray area but i started that i believe with backlash um just you know after wrestlemania 18 if it's it felt right uh but go check that out and check out all my episodes at apronbomb.com check out the youtube too a lot of people might not even be aware that i have a youtube uh, you might have not witnessed my my adorable cats uh, earlier in this introduction. So uh, check out all, you know, all my social medias are at apronbump.com. Also in the description, apronbump on Twitter. Oh, my God. Buy a shirt. Why don't you? Uh, fuck me and my ass as well. So uh, but speaking of fucking me in the ass, my guest, <laughs> he didn't fuck me in the ass on this episode, uh, but my guest Really fun time on this episode with Will from the Botched Spots and Chair Shots podcast. Joins me on this episode, and we have a good old time talking about some O2 WWF. Go check out his podcast. Like I said, it's the Botched Spots and Chair Shots podcast. Uh, he's also a part of the Smacked Raw family, who I've had pretty much all of them uh, on my show. Uh, so if you like them, you know, Bama Dave, RN, Kyle, White Kyle, I think is what they call them. Uh, but go check that out. Um, all that info in the description below. Uh, you know, quick shout out. I, I'm, I'm terrible at this usually to all the podcasts um, that have had me on their show recently. I've, I've done a bunch. Um, was on the Wheel of Wrestling uh, trivia game for the Bammer Slammer podcast. Was on uh, Sig Daddy's wrestling show where we covered WrestleMania 28, which it's a funny kind of parallel because WrestleMania 28 had uh, the end of an era match between Triple H and Undertaker. And now we're here uh, talking about uh, the real end of an era because it's the end of the Attitude Era. And who is it? Well, it's Triple H versus Undertaker for uh, the title. So uh, it's funny how time kind of uh, stays the same sometimes. But, uh, you know, I was on a work in progress 
where we watched uh, a few random WrestleMania matches, which is a really fun time. Uh, SCW Wrestling Channel had me on his latest uh, couple videos talking about WrestleMania matches and my favorite WrestleMania show. Uh, I know I'm going to fucking forget somebody. Who else? Who else had me on their show? I was on the Straight Talk Wrestling Podcast uh, with Vincent Vicente Delgado, uh, where we uh, did a, like a like a March Madness type tournament where we uh, talked about who our favorite factions were in wrestling. Uh, those are just a couple of the latest podcasts that I've been uh, very fortunate to be a guest on. Love this community. Have a have made a lot of uh, good pals doing this whole podcast here. So go check out all that shit. Um, follow me on Twitter. I'm always retweeting retweeting all that. I'm I'm blabbering. Let's let's just talk about some Jamie Noble, why don't we? WWE King of the Ring 2002 with myself and Will Gray from the Botched Spots and Chair Shots podcast. <laughs> but uh yeah, man. Uh once again, thank you for uh making the time to come on here and uh talk about some King of the Ring uh 2002. Uh so you got a chance to watch the show? Yeah, I was pretty excited about it. When I got back and looked at the card, there were a couple names that were kind of surprising for me. Having a chance to see Jericho work RVD was a lot of fun. I don't want to oh, yeah. go through too much, but uh, it was kind of a trip down memory lane for me because it was the end of the Attitude Era going into the Ruthless Aggression Era. So we got yeah. two generations of wrestlers in one pay-per-view. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. No, this is um, it's very interesting because, like you said, it's it's the very end. I would say of the attitude era, like the last night, because the next night I believe uh, is the raw where Vince McMahon gives that whole speech uh, asking for ruthless aggression, all that stuff. And uh, we're like fresh off the heels off of stone cold leaving. And we'll get into it when we get into these matches. But I think watching the show overall, my overall thought of it was like, okay, the attitude era stuff ain't working anymore. <laughs> like that, the, the first half of 2002, um, is very much like them trying to rehash things that worked in the Attitude Era. And even even stuff like Godfather. Like, I don't even know if you remember Godfather in 2002, yeah. but he was literally doing the same shit. Um, Goldust for a little bit was still trying to do his, like, 90s thing. And uh, none of it was working. The fans were burnt out on it. And um, they were burnt out on a lot of things that we see on this card. But, um, yeah, I guess overall, what were your overall thoughts on the card? And I guess, were you, were you watching during this time? Um, when I got to, this was my uh, rewatch of this pay-per-view, but when I was watching through some of the things you were talking about, I felt like there were a lot of points that were good nostalgia factors. Um, having yeah. a chance to see RVD and Heyman will get, you know, coming down there. Um, having a chance to see some of the, uh, those all-time greats, having a chance to Guerrero flair. Like you're talking about some of the, the all times, uh, the involvement of Bubba Ray. Like I felt like from top to bottom, this is one of those. It's not a WrestleMania card, but when you see everybody that was involved with the pay-per-view, like mm -hmm. it, it could have been, you know, it was a, it was a good card from top to bottom. I feel like Brock Lesnar breaking out. Um, I feel like Jericho was at the height. He had just lost the undisputed title. Mm -hmm. um, it had been, he had been rotating around. Um, so I feel like overall, you got to see a lot of guys you saw Lance Storm pass through. I'm trying to pass through my notes without taking away from the the other two no, thirds good, of the episode. But like <laughs> from top to bottom, the amount of people that were on the card made it classic now 20 years later. Like just because yeah. of the names alone. 
For sure. Yeah, the, the nostalgia aspect is definitely there, especially for someone like you, who I'm assuming you just kind of came into this cold. Um, for me, though, as somebody who's kind of like watching all this stuff chronologically and all that stuff, and I've watched you know all the pay-per-views leading up to this, uh, so far, as we're, if we're looking at the year of 2002, this is definitely one of the weaker uh, shows, in my opinion. A lot of that might be the crowd, um, but also there's factors like how stuff was built up, um, the stuff I talked about earlier about how things were kind of getting rehashed when they maybe shouldn't have. And you have the whole stone cold leaving, shaking things up. So there are a lot of elements at play here. Um, but there are a lot of good, there's a lot of good stuff on this card. It's specific. I mean, Brock Lesnar breaking out was probably my highlight. If anything, well, you take a look at where wrestling was coming out of the attitude era when WWE slash F bought everybody mm-hmm. out. They took WCW, they took W or they took WCW. They took ECW out of the fold. the, the indies had kind of been uh, relegated to almost like a minor league at this point. So WWE needed something to be fresh. And this was that Mm -hmm. starting point where they didn't really have any idea of where they were going or what they were doing, but they wanted to have a a starting point here. And you're right with raw coming up the next night and everything leading past this point, this was the, the curtain call, so to speak on the attitude era. Yeah. And it was very interesting watching this show because when you kind of think, towards the future. And I don't know how familiar you are with like how the rest of this year kind of pans out. But, um, a lot of the show is kind of almost a moot point because it's like, you know, triple H he's, we're not at evolution yet, but that's very soon. Um, undertaker, he's his heel runs coming to an end pretty shortly. Like, you know, Hogan goes in a completely different direction. So you got guys like John Cena and Rey Mysterio who are about to debut. So it's like the whole landscape's about to change within a matter of weeks. So yeah, like you said, we're really just tying the bow in the attitude era, but uh, it was the right time. We've talked on my show a lot about how we have placeholder champions and I'll talk later when we get the taker match. Not that any of the people in this card necessarily were placeholders, but when you look at the, the cruiserweight match, uh, with Billy Kidman, or not Billy Kidman, I'm sorry, Hurricane Helms and Janie Noble. Mm-hmm. I mean, Noble was a, he had a quality career for what it was at the time, but it was more of a passing thing. You had a lot of like placeholders that were the in-between bridge between two eras of wrestling for this year to 18 month period while we waited for the Cena's and the Mysterio's and those guys mm-hmm. to come on. Yeah, man, I, I fucking love Jamie Noble, man. I don't know about you. He's like one of my low key, like he's not, not not guilty pleasure, but it's like one of those like under the radar guys. That I just love every time he's on the screen. See, this is where uh, this would a big conversation point, because I was a Billy Kidman guy and they were almost really similar characters in the way they worked to their presentation. Kidman didn't have that. I don't really want to call it a trailer, the the trailer park boy Mm -hmm. feel to it, but that kind of rough blue collar look to it was kind of what they had. And I feel like the the parallels of their their careers speak to themselves. I wasn't a big noble guy, but I was a Billy Kidman guy. I was a bigger Ray guy than I was an Eddie guy. You Mm -hmm. see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, the cruiserweight division in general, and we'll get to it later in the show. But yeah, the cruiserweight, it's like kind of starting to ramp up at this point. And Billy Kidman's in the picture. Um, like I said, Rey Mysterio is about to debut. You got like guys like Ultimo Dragon and stuff like that coming on the horizon. So this is like a, a period of the cruiserweight division where I'm a big fan of. And Hurricane Helms, got to throw him in there. Um, but uh, the show, King of the Ring 2002, starts off hot with a semifinal match. In the King of the Ring tournament, we got Chris Jericho, Chris Jericho versus Rob Van Dam. Uh, this honestly, I'm thinking this might be my match of the night right here. And it's the opening match. 
Um, crowd is super into this stuff. I mean, Rob Van Dam, he, he's got a lot of momentum going. Um, maybe not quite at the height that he was in the invasion, but he's still definitely a uh, one of the biggest baby faces in the company at this point. And you got Chris Jericho, like you said, uh, still hot coming out of WrestleMania, even though he just lost the title, but he's still in the main event picture. So this is a big match. Um, like the, 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 the fluidity of like all the counters and stuff is, is what struck out to me. They, these guys seem to have a really good chemistry uh, together. Um, yeah. What did you think about this opening match? Um, I like the fact that they were very adamant about the fact semifinal winner gets a shot at SummerSlam. They were very yes. good at this point in history about building up for the story. So King of the Ring was now they were already starting the story for what was going to happen in four weeks, six weeks when SummerSlam rolled around. Um, I like that when they started the match, it was very expected RVD versus expected Chris Jericho for where the characters uh-huh. were at the time. Um, I critiqued RVD in my notes. I've said that he had, when you rewatch some of these matches back then, when you take the, the 12 year old glasses off and you look at it as a, a critique of the sport versus just somebody watching wrestling to watch wrestling, you realize that a lot of RVD's kicks are landed the same way Stone Cold Steve Austin's, like when he was stomping mud holes in people, like they were there mm-hmm. for dramatic effect. They didn't necessarily, if you watch them and you watch them, they didn't land flush. They look like pillow kicks. And I, I kind of liken that to what goes on in AEW a lot, but that's neither mm-hmm. here nor there. Uh, big takeaway for me for this one, I miss the relevancy of mid-card titles. Like oh, yeah. Rob Van Dam was proud to be the IC champion when he came out. Both times in this pay-per-view when we see him wrestle, he's wearing the belt proud. He's proud to be the Intercontinental title. They were still the workhorses yes. of the company. They were still the guys that carried that mid-card. They were always next in line for the world championship. And I miss the relevancy of a good IC champion. You know, it's funny you say that, but uh, where we're at in 2002, we're only a few months away from that. <laughs> the Intercontinental title just being thrown in the trash. Uh, not, you know, it's unified with the world title, but uh, there's a few, few months period where it's just gone, uh, or maybe more so like a year. Um, but I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a focal point. Well, what are your thoughts on this, this design of the intercontinental title? Where do you think it ranks among all the different designs we've seen over the years? I'm a old school guy. I want the WrestleMania three, the one that Ricky the dragon uh, walks off with the bigger blockier yep. frame. Um, I didn't care much for the white belts because Finn Balor's IC title when they brought out the the retro version of that one had a white belt and then Ultimate Warrior had a white belt on his IC belt. I've always been a fan of the black belts with the the bigger frames and the bigger plates. This smaller, more round, I call it the China or the Chris Jericho IC belt because that's who (laughs) I think of when they wear it because China wore this belt, Chris Jericho wore this belt a lot. Everybody did. No, this this belt was hot potatoed for a number of years. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the IC title belt is my favorite title over time, but I feel like this specific incarnation of it is just kind of the in-betweener for me. Um, I like it more than I do the current version of the belt, though. I think the yeah. one right now that Rick, uh, that Ricochet is wearing is kind of a, a hideous design. Neither that or the U.S. title belt scream WWF to me or WWE rather like they seem almost Hollywood, if that makes sense. I actually like the U.S. title that's being used now. It has like a big presence to it, if that makes any sense. It, it doesn't look as cookie cutter as a lot of other titles do uh, currently in WWE. Um, but yeah, the current IC title, that's like you throw me in WWE 2K22, give me five minutes. I'll create something better than that easily. Um, but yeah, this opening match here, 
lots of fun spots in this match. We got a, uh, a double arm suplex by Jericho off the top rope. Uh, you got Rob Van Dam going for the five star. He misses, uh, but then Jericho uh, kicks the ref into the ropes. He's like on his back and he like up kicks the ref into the ropes, which is like a fun little twist on a classic spot. Yeah. Um, you got RVD selling like a million bucks as he always does. Like there was one point where he took a German suplex from Jericho and it looked like he'd fold it damn near in half. Um, Some of the notes that I've got the, the rolling monkey flip with the 360 leg drop. That's very ECW Rob Van Dam. It was nice to hear those ECW yeah. chants come out. Um, I wrote in my notes, Jericho used the skull crushing finale, which I thought was a, a cool move that was thrown in there out of nowhere. I don't remember him specifically using that move a lot. He but called the it the of, breakdown, the breakdown. The breakdown. It never really got over. I think the Miz does it a lot better than Jericho did it here, which is weird to say. But it was uh, when I think I see title, I always think Jericho. I think Miz. I think RVD. I think Honky Tonk Man. I go through the list. And so when I, I think about this and I think I see title matches, even if this isn't one, I always put all of those same guys in the, the running when I think about these matches. So when I yeah. see Jericho do a move that the Miz is known for, I did the same thing you did. I was like, OK, this was four years before the Miz. Does the Miz do it better or was he just copying one from Jericho's catalog? Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, the finish comes when uh, Jericho, he's going for a superplex. Uh, but Rob Van Dam pushes him off or kicks him and crotches Jericho on the top rope. Jericho falls to the mat and Rob Van Dam's able to hit that five star frog splash for the win. Therefore, moving on to the finals of the King of the Ring uh, to face the winner of Brock Lesnar versus Test. Gee, I wonder who's going to win that one. Um, but yeah, this is an awesome match. Uh, like I said, the crowd, the energy behind it was just red hot. Um yeah, and like I said, I think these guys just have really good chemistry with each other and everything just flowed beautifully. I like the they had a good amount of false finishes without it seeming like they should have brought it home sooner than they did. We knew that yeah. it wasn't going to be a, a long, like 20 minute banger of a match. But what they gave us and the amount of time they worked was quality. Um, so overall, I feel like I agree with you. I so this isn't my match of the night, but it's a very close second to the one that I picked. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but after the match, Jerry Lawler gets in the ring to interview Rob Van Dam, uh, and he's asking him, who would he rather face in the finals? And naturally he says, oh, I don't care. Like they always do. It's, it's the same thing. Like, who would you rather face in this number one contender? Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, but then as Rob Van Dam, he's being interviewed, Jericho attacks from behind and locks in the walls of Jericho on Rob Van Dam. And, uh, Leaves him lame, so uh, making him vulnerable for the finals. Uh, yeah, what did, what did you think of the little, little post-match shenanigans here? Um, I like the Brock Lesnar test, Godzilla, it doesn't matter. It's going to be RVD. Like, he was yeah. Matt Riddle before Matt Riddle was Matt Riddle. Like, I kind of feel like that that flow with it. Um, I liked the, the, after, the after jump with Jericho. I felt like... Him screaming, I'm the king of the world, you know, that was very 2002 Y2J, yeah. so I appreciate, like, super into that. Um, I feel like that was a very Chris Jericho Hill way to do it. We saw some Hill tactics throughout the match, so for him to jump him afterwards and try to take away any kind of advantage going into the finals was a super cool way, because it was... I don't want to say a protected finish for Jericho, but he didn't need to win that match to stay over with the crowd. 
So it gave mm-hmm. him a chance to lose lose clean to RVD, but also still keep an upper hand on him. So later on down the line, that doesn't look as bad on the record, so to speak. Not that records matter, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. To your point, Jericho. I mean, he wasn't exactly winning a lot of matches in this time period. Like we said, we he just lost to Triple H, losing the title. Um, I don't even remember what he does in the rest of the year. He's kind of like hanging around the main event picture a little bit. Then he faces Shawn Michaels at the next WrestleMania and loses. So. Um, but his character is able to survive that. And I guess that's a testament to his ability. Um, him, it's just funny seeing Chris Jericho, like I'm the king of the world. Like he's always a guy that like tries to create t-shirts and nicknames for himself. Like even to this day, the so Jericho funny appreciation how, society, man, like uh, it just yeah, happened, right? <laughs> it was natural. Not in no way shoehorned in clumsily. Um, he's the influencer, the sports entertainer. Uh, the demo god. Now, how many other, you know, we can just spend a whole hour and li- listing his nicknames. But um, yes, we're almost at goatee Jericho here. But the goatee um, Jericho. The sideburns. Like that was also something else. The goatee and the yeah. sideburns. It was it was something. <laughs> it was something. The braided red hair. It was, you know, we all go through that phase, right? Well, I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you oh, had yeah. a braided beard at some point, right? We it was it, that, that was my thing. Braided, red, polka dots, whatever you wanted. That's <laughs> cool. Everybody pay attention to me. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, after that, we have uh, the second semifinal match for the King of the Ring. Barack Lesnar versus Test. It is, uh, it's cool to see Test in this kind of spotlight, I think. Would you agree? Um, looking at it there, like you said, test versus Brock Lesnar. I wonder who's going to win. Um, mm. I was surprising with what happened in the match, the amount of work that test got to do, because yeah. even with him being the veteran in this match, everybody knew Lesnar was going to the moon anyways, because of who, how he was coming in, where he was at coming out of OVW. Like historically, we knew what he was, what was going on. We knew Brock was going to be the guy. So it was yeah. cool to have C test, have a chance to perform like that. And I feel like Brock did a good job allowing him to get his moves in and get over with the crowd, even though he knew he wasn't going to win the match. Yeah, for sure. And because um, Test has been like a super heel for a long time, um, just a dick to everybody. He did the whole thing where um, he won a battle royal at Survivor Series 2001, which gave him immunity for a year. So he couldn't be fired. So he used that to, you know sexually harassed divas backstage or just be a dick in general to everybody. Um, but here is kind of more in the babyface kind of role, which is very interesting in this time period. Cause that, it seems like very out of place, but it seems like he, he did it well. Um, and like you said, I was surprised with how much, I guess nowadays we're used to like super Brock or whatever you want to call him. Suplex city Brock. Who's like indestructible. You know, he, he takes very little offense um, but here in this match, I mean, Tess, he gives him the power slam for a two count, uh, like the pump handle power slam for a two count. He gives him the boot for two. Um, but the theme of this match is basically every time Test starts to rev up a little bit with some offense, Brock just shuts him down. Uh, still, Brock definitely came out looking uh, the dominant, the more dominant of the two. And um, towards the end. So like I said, Test hit a boot for a two count. He goes for a second one, but Paul Heyman interferes and just throats him on the top rope. Uh, you know, Heyman gets on the apron, grabs Test by the head, off, off the top rope, and um, Brock hits the F5 for the win. So uh, 
Brock Lesnar gets the win, but it was a fun little sprint of a match between these two powerhouses, I thought. Um, jumping through my notes for you, I said collar elbow to open nice and then immediately followed it with never nine. They're just brawling. Um, because yeah. when they first <laughs> opened up, I was like, okay, cool. They're actually going to do. And I don't want to say they didn't do any real wrestling moves, but my notes also say it's just two big guys slapping meat because that's what I feel like a bunch of this match was, was just two guys beating the crap out of each other. Nothing and wrong with that. No, absolutely not. Um, I wrote down Heyman distracts test for Lesnar to hit the F5. So the reoccurring theme, I'm going to keep a running total for you now. We are two matches in, and we have two matches with interference so far. <laughs> I, I feel like... extra sheet of paper to tally up all that. Well, all I, that I was joking around. I, I, I said something on Twitter the other night when I've, I've been re-watching periods, like parts of this pay-per-view as I go, because I watched the whole thing, and now, then I went back and just re-watched certain parts of matches just to kind of mm-hmm. highlight my notes. Um Two very different styles from the opening match when you think RVD and Jericho versus Test and Brock Lesnar. Two very different matches, two very different ways to to tell a story in a ring. These guys were using the whole 10 count when they were outside the ring. So it was very different matches for the almost exact same amount of time worked. Um, It was a big brawl is exactly what you'd expect from these two guys. Yeah, for sure. And Brock Lesnar, like I said, comes out looking like a beast as he is. And um, yeah, it's a good point. Very different from the first match, but I think that's a a great thing to diversify your uh, your card. But so after that, honestly, <laughs> to me, at least as far as like the crowd energy, it's almost like where the show peaked a little bit. Um, don't know what it is, but it's almost like it fell off a cliff after this. The matches weren't necessarily bad after it, uh, at least some of them. But um, I suppose we'll get into that. But uh, before that, we got the coach who is uh, in the Raw locker room. So this is kind of the, like we said this in the beginning, this is like a transition from the Attitude Era to the uh, Ruthless Aggression Era. And this is a transition to that period where Raw and SmackDown are like two separate things. Because before it was just like, okay, this is the show that Flair has. This is the show that Mitz McMahon has. Now that's kind of been thrown out the window. Um, And now we're kind of getting different identities for each brand, which I like. So you have coach in the raw locker room and then you have Greg Lloyd in the SmackDown locker room. And they're basically, so coach is in the raw locker room and he, he runs into Bubba Ray Dudley and he, he says, he says, Hey Bubba, who do you think is going to win the King of the ring Brock or RVD? And uh, Bubba's like, uh, Oh, I think Bubba's or uh, I think Brock's going to win. Uh, but I sure do wish I was in that for those finals, but I'm going to find a way to make an impact tonight. And he sure does. Uh, then it cuts to Greg Lloyd, who's in the SmackDown locker room, and he runs into Lance Storm and Christian, and uh, they are pissed because uh, they just saw their fellow Canadian lose. And clearly he lost because uh, there's prejudice against Canadians uh, in this company. Uh, clearly, you know, I mean, Brock's from basically Canada, but you know what? No, it's a prejudice against Canadians. Um, this is <laughs> clearly uh, planting seeds for the un-American staple. Do you have any uh, memories of those those gentlemen? I wrote down uh, a couple notes talking about what you said. I said Bubba Ray is the quintessential professional. I feel like him giving props to RVD was cool, but supporting yeah. Brock overall, it was one of those, you know, you, you're going to bet on the horse you know is going to win. Um, talking about Lance Storm and Christian, those two guys, in my opinion, Lance Storm is one of the better technical stars at the time to come around. I feel like him portraying a heel 
is hilarious to me because he's when you know him as a person, he's such a naturally good guy. Every interview right. he's ever done, he talks about like, you know, he's the guy that did six shows a week, but still somehow made it home every night for dinner with his family. You know what I mean? I've never heard a bad mm-hmm. word said about him. So having a chance to see him play the hill, I feel like just shows the the level of change he has in his his career from beginning to end. He can go from top to bottom, hill to bad, uh, good to bad, hill to baby face. And I feel like him and Christian paired together almost gives you that comedic edge without taking away from the fact that both of these guys are genuinely good workers. Uh, I jokingly wrote in my notes, Canada is the nicest place ever. I don't think anybody could really have anything negative to say about Canadians. (laughs) (laughs) They're such like a benign, like they're just up there doing their own thing, like not bothering anybody. And it's like, everybody's like all fuck Canadians, uh, (laughs) South park. But, um, but yeah, it's just a fun, like weirdly aggressive promo. Like you said, it doesn't really fit their (laughs) personalities. If you know them in real life, but, um, I like the anti-Canadian propaganda. I thought that was real funny because once again, it goes with that thing where it's, it reminds me of Sergeant Slaughter making his turn to go anti-US mm. at the the early 90s and when he became the, the Iraqi general. I feel like it's not necessarily the same thing, but it's kind of that same feel to it where it's the, the anti-America run, Canada first, like they don't like us because we're Canadian. I felt like it was very... Like it was a cool version of that without it having to be so serious because we obviously weren't in a war in 2002 like we were in the early 90s when that turn happened. Right. Well, we are fresh off of 9-11. Also very true. And, uh, yeah. And can, so so patriotism is at all time high here. So they're really, I, I want to say capitalizing on it, like they're like taking advantage of it in a weird way. But like they are like taking advantage of that, that patriotism that's like running throughout the country. So, you know, it makes sense when you really think about where society is at this point in time. But uh, after that, we have the cruiserweight title is on the line. The champion of the hurricane versus Jamie and Noble, of course, accompanied by his girlfriend, girlfriend, Nydia. And I forgot how bizarre uh, the backstory of Jamie Noble and Nydia was. I mean, so so they're introduced because uh, Hurricane has a stalker. And uh, he's finding notes on his locker like it's like weird riddles like leading them or leading him to the the, the stalker like, oh, I've been watching you from afar. I forget what exactly it is, but it's like weeks on weeks on weeks go by. It's like, who's the stalker? And then it turns out to be Nydia, who I guess I don't know if this is for real, but I guess the ex the ex-girlfriend of the hurricane. Um, And (laughs) and so Hurricane there's like a note that leads hurricane to her, like a locker room where Nydia is. And then they're talking back and forth. They're jaw Jack. And then the end comes Jamie Noble from behind who attacks the hurricane in the locker room. And uh, I guess this is, this is all because Jamie Noble wants the cruiserweight title. I don't know. Or if he wants revenge, he wants to avenge, you know, protect his girlfriend, Nydia against the evil ex-boyfriend. I don't know. It's a whole, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Hurricane has a fucking cape and a mask on. There's a lot of weird shit happening here. Um, Oh, and that's not weird enough. Apparently there's a whole layer to it where Nydia uh, aggression turns her on. You ever, you ever run into any of those gals there, Will? I've had a a few run-ins with a few gals who, uh, yeah, I, I think they had a lot in common with Nydia when you think about what was going on in her head and the things she was mm. into. Um, needless to say, those are the most fun and also the most terrifying women you can ever be associated <laughs> with. 
Well, no, it's so like exaggerated because Jamie Noble will just be beating the shit out of Hurricane. It's like on SmackDown or whatever. And Nydia's like rubbing herself, like tweedling her nipples and all that. Like, oh, this is some good shit. It's like, man, I do not remember <laughs> this aspect of it, but it's it's entertaining, I guess. That's one of those you don't think about it when you're a kid, but when you rewatch it as an adult thing, you're like, how did I not see this coming? <laughs> like, what what was I thinking? Yeah, it's uh, it was something. It was something. <laughs> but uh, the match itself, it was a good match. It like it took a little bit to kick in. Um, like I said, the crowd, I don't, I don't know if they were burnt out <laughs> by Brock Lesnar or what it was, um, or if they just weren't interested in the cruiserweight division. That could also be Jamie Noble's also a very new face. They weren't really given a lot of reason to care about him and hurricane is decently over, but, um, maybe there just wasn't a lot of meat to it. Maybe Nydia rubbing herself to brutality wasn't enough, but you know, that, that would have, <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that, but, um, the match, you know, once it kicks in, it kicks in, though. You have Hurricane hits a crossbody to the outside on a Jamie Noble uh, Hurricane. Then uh, they're on the top rope fighting, and Hurricane hits a beautiful top rope swinging netbreaker. Um, but ultimately, Anidia gets on the apron, distracts the ref. Uh, Noble goes to attack Hurricane in the ring, but Hurricane gets out of the way, and Noble runs into Nidia and receives a choke slam from the Hurricane. For a two count. So that was a really good false finish there. I, I bet on that one. Uh, Hurricane capitalizes. He goes to the top rope. But once again, there's a running theme here. He gets crotched on the top rope. And uh, Jamie Noble hits him with a beautiful powerbomb. Pins him with his feet on the ropes, of course. Um, and, uh, or wait, no, I'm sorry. No, Jamie Noble hits the powerbomb. Hurricane, Hurricane gets his feet on the ropes. But Nidia shoves it off. And Noble's able to get the victory. So Jamie Noble is your new cruiserweight champion. And uh, yeah, decently good match for what it was. Um, the first thing I wrote about this match, listening to him talk, I miss Howard Finkel. That was the first mm. thing for some reason. Listening to him call a title match, even with it being a lower mid card like the cruiserweight title, having a chance to hear him call a match again, give the intros. I thought it was cool. Um, overall, good match, not great. Uh, short, sweet, to the point. Both guys got good moves in. Hurricane was a lot of fun. I think the comic book gimmick would get over well today. And I said, when I was rewatching it, I said it would be both a compliment to him for the, being able to get over with a character in today's wrestling, but also a slight towards creative today because they tend to be reusing... I, I'm not a big fan of Nikki A.S.H., but it seems like this is the stuff they want to shove down our faces. So I feel mm -hmm. like his character now would be somebody that would have gotten a good push, but he would be able to make it work because he was so good at being the hurricane. If that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. I mean, you watch back like the Raws and Smackdowns with the hurricane. He was super over. Like he was initially a heel too, but the crowd loved him to the point where he switched and he would go on. I think eventually he would go to raw. He would get away, get away from the cruiserweight title stuff and become more of just like a, uh, a novelty act, I suppose. But then he would get victories over the rock and stuff. So he was he had a really good career um, for like the, the size that he is and all that stuff and everything he had against him. And then he would have that cruiserweight title run uh, in the mid 2000s. So uh, big fan of uh, Gregory Helms, Shane Helms, for sure. For sure. He also had that spot in the Royal Rumble, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H. It was either 2001 or 2002 yeah. where he went in. Played the the superhero double choke slam didn't get worked immediately got eliminated but that I think he did that you. recently too didn't he do that like two years ago when he made an appearance and it was like uh, 
fuck, I don't remember who it was, like Braun Strowman and Lesnar or something. It was a couple years ago. It was the year that, uh, it wasn't the year Drew won, was it? The year we were in the Thunderdome? I think it was the Thunderdome. Was it? That's what I was uh, thinking. I couldn't uh, yeah. remember for sure, but uh, I, I remember that one being weird. Or no, it wasn't the Thunderdome one. The Drew one was the last one right before everybody stopped going to shows. That was the yeah. last big pay-per-view. So I think it was that one then. Because I remember, been, I remember yeah. thinking like Hurricane Helms, like the very Pokemon random moment, like a random hurricane <laughs> appears, you know, like I thought that was kind of cool. There was a lot of good returns that year too with edge, but I always yeah. feel like hurricanes, one of those guys, he pops up when he needs to, he does work when he needs to, he was always over as a heel or baby face. So I feel like for where we were at in WWE point, I feel like hurricane Helms was one of those like good mid card, not a jobber, but he was never a main eventer either. He could just fill your card and put good work on your TV time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You need that kind of comic relief uh, yeah. to fill out a card, like you said. Um, but then it cuts to The Rock arriving. And uh, this is all very knee jerk. Stone Cold left. So they were like, OK, we need some star power on this show. Let's because <laughs> The Rock was out doing movies and the Scorpion King and whatever the fuck. Um, so he's like, I'm going to be a king of the ring. What am I going to do? I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out. Was basically the promo he cut, and um, just basically, it's like, wait, hold on. Nobody knows his role in this show, like the catchphrase he says. You know, yeah. we're all having fun, <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> so the rocks here, and we'll see him a little more later. But before that, we got Eddie Guerrero versus Rick Flair, um, and like I just mentioned, uh, Stone Cold. Recently, within the past few weeks, did the whole took his ball and went home deal. Um, it's 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 been highly talked about, but you know, in general, he he was he was burnt out. He he had been burning the candle at both ends, and he was scheduled to face Brock Lesnar, and he was scheduled to put over Brock Lesnar in a King of the Ring match. Uh, didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do that in an unadvertised match. Which I guess I guess in general, what are your thoughts on uh, Stone Cold leaving and like I guess him putting over Brock Lesnar and not wanting to, I suppose. That's one of those situations where you get really messy because as a fan, I feel like coming out of the Attitude Era with where Stone Cold was, I feel like he didn't have to put Brock over for Brock to to be that guy. Anybody else could have anybody else could have done that. The you know, uh not mm. it didn't have to be Stone Cold, I guess is what I'm saying. Um yeah. so but also from the same time looking back at it, why wouldn't Austin want to take that opportunity to help the next guy get over to help push him? Because we already knew where he was at in his career. We already got rock Austin too. Um, we had the rock Austin, uh, WrestleMania match coming up in a couple of years, which was his last one, but he was already in the swan song of his career anyways. So it seemed very, I'm not saying it seemed selfish of him, but he could have taken the, the match and done it the right way, still got what he needed to out of it, but also still getting Lesnar over. So I feel like him packing up and taking his ball home was kind of him. Uh, it was very, I don't want to say Dusty Rhodes ish, but that's kind of what it reminds me of is like, I'm just going to go book and promote my own promotion now that you're going to take the belt off of me. It was very, if you're not going to let me be me, then I'm going to bounce. Um, yeah. 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 And you kind of alluded to this. Uh, Brock Lesnar was that next big guy and it. it's a guy he could have had a program with, which I guess is the premise of why Steve was uh, upset about it. It's because, oh, we're just going to blow this 
just at a random match on Raw, which I suppose I get, um, especially when you consider like, like I said, there's just not a lot of heels, like really strong heels that he hasn't already faced uh, in the company at this point. And to paint a picture, the last pay-per-view, Judgment Day, Stone Cold was in a handicap match against Big Show and Ric Flair. Uh, if that gives you any idea of what the, the pool of talent that Stone Cold has to wrestle. <laughs> so Brock Lesnar, it's almost like, and I'm kind of making assumptions here, but it's almost like, well, now if we just get this Brock Lesnar thing out of the way really quickly, like what what else can I do after that? So it's almost like the writing was on the wall. Um, so there's definitely, it's, it's you can look at it both ways. But um, so yeah, Austin's out. Uh, and he was initially... Uh, supposed to face Eddie Guerrero, which like shit, man. It's like that's that's the only thing. I'm watching Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair, which like by all intents and purposes, it sh- I should be excited about it. But the whole time I'm watching this, I was like, man, it could have been Eddie versus Stone Cold, which I believe probably would have been a more exciting match, in my opinion. Uh, looking at my notes for this one, I leading up to the Ric Flair Eddie Guerrero match, I don't want to to break the flow. I always said Eddie on the mic was solid gold. Even in 2002, Mm -hmm. when he had a chance, I liked the fact that he was flowing in and out of both languages. I liked he kept the Latino heat factor going. I feel like everything he did leading up to that match was the quintessential Eddie Guerrero. The reason why he became the world champion, the reason why he had the successes he had was because he was very true to himself at this point. And I feel like that's what we got in this match. Um, having yeah. a chance to maybe see an Austin Eddie Guerrero at this point would have been amazing. But like you said, you take what you get. And if life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. In this case, we got Ric Flair, Eddie Guerrero instead of Stone Cold Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, you could do a lot worse than Eddie versus Ric Flair. For that's sure. For sure. Um, but like you said, we get an Eddie promo before the match. And it's kind of a weird. He's like shouting out all his brothers and his cousins. It's like he's like naming them one by one. It's like, what, what are we doing here? Um <laughs> But he's basically, like you said, he's kind of uh, establishing that Latino heat kind of persona. And it's funny, you know, it took him a while to really because he he returned to WWE after his hiatus um, a couple months ago. And it took him a while because when he returned, he didn't really have that charisma to him. It was almost like I'm here. I want to win titles. I'm Eddie Guerrero. Um, but he's he's at this point, he's really kind of channeling that Latino heat, that light, that lie, cheat, steal kind of thing that we'd see in the on SmackDown and the SmackDown six. So that that's the Eddie we're seeing here, which is exciting to see. Um, but uh, yeah, this is really the story here. It was supposed to be Eddie versus Austin. Ric Flair took his spot and now it's Eddie versus Flair. And that's and Eddie's basically blaming Flair for Austin leaving. And that's essentially the backstory here. Um but it is a funny dynamic of like the dirtiest player in the game versus lie, cheat, steal Eddie Guerrero, which is it made for some fun spots in this match, kind of trying to one up each other, I suppose. Um, but that being said, man, I, I feel like this match just had no steam to it. I don't know. What, what were your general thoughts on it? I suppose um, I said two of the greatest hills ever, which goes without saying I said in my notes, I said it's Flair doing Flair things and Eddie doing Eddie things. It would be like going to see a Bruce Springsteen concert when you know he's going to play Born in the USA. Um, And I talk about this throughout the card in a couple different matches, so this will be the first time I bring it up. When you've seen Ric Flair wrestle 100 matches, you can almost tell what spots he's going to do based on how he's acting in the ring. So there were a few times I said... uh, 
they they were doing a clinic for how they both excelled though while they were doing it. Like Eddie was doing the things that made Eddie famous. Rick was doing the things that made Flair famous. They used ten counts. They used five counts. Taunts, facials, using the ref, selling for the other guy. All the stuff that makes them great. But I feel like the whole thing just kind of like you said with the crowd not being there, the steam. You know, with the two guys, you know they were calling it in the ring. So why weren't they adjusting and flowing the fill based on what the crowd was? Because there were peaks and valleys. But the whole time, I felt like it was very. I don't want to say winded, but it just seemed kind of flat a lot of times for a Flair Guerrero yeah. match. I agree. I think it could just be a Styles clash because Eddie, his matches are very like explosive, very athletic, very lucha libre. Whereas Flair is like very much work a body part, you know, methodical, you know, heel, charisma, but they're, you know, so I think maybe they just didn't mesh. And there was actually an, an element of this, which commentary actually called out, which is pretty funny. So Eddie, at some point, he uh, he drop kicks the knee of Ric Flair and, and Flair is selling his ass off. He just like kicked his patella off. Um, and then you have Eddie locking in various submissions on the leg. He locks in a figure four even, which brings up a, a funny line from commentary. I forget if it was King or JR, but they, they said that it'd be a feather in the sombrero if Eddie were to win with the figure four, uh, which is a little on the nose, but... Um, that's just the tip of the iceberg with commentary being, uh, not aging well, I suppose, but, um, but yeah, so Eddie's working the leg on flair for several minutes and then at whatever, (laughs) some point he just abandons it completely and locks in a headlock and it's fucking JR. He's even like, well, I'm surprised the, you know, Eddie's isn't continuing to work the leg. I I wonder what his strategy is here, which is like, it it makes sense though. It is weird because it seems like this match just was like things happening. And like you said, like they weren't really adjusted to the crowd. Um, a little slow at spots, but, um, ultimately, uh, Eddie goes for a frog splash. He misses, which allows flair to lock in the figure four. Uh, but Benoit, Chris Benoit comes out, uh, also newly returned. I don't even think he's um, technically cleared yet because he's coming off of his neck uh, surgery. But um, Benoit comes out because him and Eddie are together at this point. And uh, in the ring, Eddie's able to hit the to- a tornado DDT on the flare. And, has, and Eddie then distracts the ref. Uh, and as the ref is distracted... Chris Benoit, he pulls out Flair and locks in the cross face on the outside, laying out Flair. He's face down on the floor on the outside. But then in comes Bubba Tough. <laughs> Bubba Ray Dudley comes out, hits the Bubba Bomb onto Eddie Guerrero, which allows Flair to just crawl in the ring, make the pin on Eddie, and Flair gets the win. Um... Another tally for interference. Yep, <laughs> but, four, uh, four. I was. I had it in my notes waiting for you. Match four, interference four, two times technically with Bubba and Benoit both. So yeah. uh, we see that continuing correlation and trend. Like I said, when I when I was first touching base on it, it was very, it was like I said, Eddie doing Eddie things, Flair doing Flair things. I liked Bubba Ray coming in, the foreshadowing earlier in the night. I'm gonna make figure out a way to make an impression. I like the mm-hmm. fact that Benoit went one way, then the distraction when Bubba Ware came in the other way. Flair winning dirty makes sense because he's Flair. 
Um, of course. I liked Benoit's angle with him coming out and the the distraction with the referee. So the the double distraction, I thought that was kind of a cool way to, to lead to the finish. Overall, though, I felt like this match kind of fell flat considering who we had in it. Um, if you had put this on a bigger stage, like I said earlier in the match, when you look at the names, it could have been a WrestleMania style card because of the names. But when you watch the yeah. matches that were delivered on this night, they just weren't. A lot of them fell flat. A lot of them seemed like they could have been a raw main event, not a pay-per-view match. Yeah, absolutely. And like, like you see Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair on a card. You're like, wow, this is going to be amazing. And I'm like, why have I never heard of this match? Like, this is a mm-hmm. match I've never even heard of happening. And then you kind of see why. And that's kind of the case for this card in general, really, when you think about it. But um, so two big stars in this in that last match. But now we got two bigger stars here at the world. William Regal and Chris Nowinski. <laughs> Boy, howdy. So uh, <laughs> Chris Nowinski is a character that has just been introduced I think he won tough enough. Am, am I correct on that? He did. He won tough enough that year. And uh, I like the William Regal approach, too. I've always been kind of a Regal fan, even oh, even yeah. bad guy Regal. For sure. Um, Chris Nowinski, of course, a uh, Harvard graduate. And that would be the extent of his character. But um, you got William Regal, who's kind of, I guess, his mentor, I suppose. They're both at the world. They're at a table They're They're upset at the service that they're receiving. They're like, oh, uh, that, that couple sat down after us and they got their food. It's a whole thing. Um, then the waiter or the waitress comes by with their food and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's King of the Ring. It's busy. Um, and Chris Nowinski asks the waitress where she went to college. And she says yeah, some community college, Newark Community College or something. And uh, Nowinski laughs at her and says, oh, it's no Harvard, but it's close at least in distance pause for laughter. And then, uh, the waitress puts her finger in his food, which is like kind of a mild, uh, punishment, I suppose. But, uh, so yeah, you're a big Chris Nowinski guy. Um, honestly, I had to relook up who he was and his correlation (laughs) with William Regal, because this is a weird time for me in wrestling, because as I was getting out of high school, um, I was starting to be more interested in, uh, I, I just ladies, you know, like going into college. <laughs> so, Get the, 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 here. so there was a period of time, you know, from roughly, you know, from 12 through 36 where that was all my, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so pretty much when I, when I aged out of high school, there was a, a, you know, roughly 2002 to 2010, 2012, where I didn't watch a whole lot of wrestling. So some of this is the very end of when I was watching and some of it's been kind of rewatches for me. Um, he was one of those guys I didn't remember, honestly. So when I relooked him up, I was like, okay, I, I remember who he is now, but didn't remember anything about his work. If you put a, a Nowinski match in front of me, I wouldn't I wouldn't have any idea as to what he is or who he is. <laughs> um, one thing I did make a, a note of in my thing, my shoot job is I'm a chef. My catchphrase is I'm a chef by trade and a mark by choice. Um, I oh, wrote, yeah. fire that waitress. That was gross. I don't care who you are, or how mean your person is. Don't ever put your finger in your guy's food. <laughs> Come on, that makes me to look be bad fair, as your chef. H- how good do we think the food was? I mean, what the fuck was it like a pasta or something? They it were like obviously a- re-innovating food with the pasta primavera served at the world in 2002. That's all there is to it, right? <sighs> do you think it had like a like a funny name, like a wrestling name, like I, um? There's a, a WWE book a cookbook out and they have ridiculous wrestling names for their dishes so i know for a fact 
that it was probably it? like the pile driving pasta or something. It's in storage, <laughs> yeah. Like no joke. Like I swear that's the kind of names they have for it. So I'm sure it was something ridiculous like that. No, I, I know I know WCW had the same thing. They had like uh, Hulk Hogies and uh, Kevin Nashville chicken tenders, like super shit like that. So, um, but anyways, so you said you were, uh, I guess you were too busy clapping cheeks in this time period to really know who Chris Nowitzki was. Yeah, but uh, we got some women in this next match, so maybe you, you knew about this. Uh, Trish Stratus, the champion, defending the women's title against Molly Holly who is uh, a newly heel Molly Holly uh, dyed her hair brunette is the uh, uh, her the basic premise of her heel character is that she's a virgin, uh, which uh, we hate that in the WWE. The WWE universe hates that. They, we want Todd. We want puppies. You see puppies. So, oh, the puppies. We can't get enough of them. And uh, puppy power is running wild, according to uh, Jerry Lawler. So. But uh, yeah, this uh, <laughs> this does not age well, to say the least. Uh, the, the premise of the storyline is that Molly Holly has a big fat ass. Um, and that sounds like I'm joking, but that's literally King Jerry Lawler on commentary. He's trying to get a chance started. She's a fat ass. And uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Well, what do you think of that whole like the whole backstory behind this, I guess? You've mentioned a few times where like commentary didn't age well. And there's a lot of times where I've written down, like if Lawler said that in 2022, he'd be canceled. If Lawler said that in 2022, he'd be canceled. And I feel (laughs) like this is one of those storylines. The irony was you saw all the, the signs out there. This is Molly's thong. And she's supposed to be portraying this like good girl virgin character. And ironically, later in the match, when she gets rolled up, she actually has her tights pulled back and you realize she is actually wearing a thong, which is something that she's not supposed to be doing the whole time. And I know that seems really stupid of me to notice, but it was one of those like taking notes, notes. I was like, the woman who's anti-thong is actually, like we just saw that she's actually wearing one. (laughs) I was like, ridiculous concept to see in the match. And I promise to anybody listening, I'm not a complete like egotistical sexist. I promise I'm not. Like, mm, but that yeah. was what so I noticed. He says. So I say, but uh, I noticed in the crowd, it was like her thong and that was the whole running joke. And she wouldn't do that because she's a good person. And then when she got rolled up, you actually saw she had one. And I was like, <laughs> like, what a weird, like it was just the whole night was just full of like weird. I don't want to call them Easter eggs, but that was kind of the thing. Um, I did like the whole Somali Holly. Uh, I said that it was all the work with no frills. So I feel like yeah. kind of looking at it from a work perspective, I feel like it was overall pretty like the character was kind of hit or miss, but I feel like it gave us a chance to see her work without any of the extra BS that went into it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We're, uh, we're far away from mighty Molly at this point. Like you for said, sure. it's, it's, we were kind of just stripping the bells and whistles off of it and letting the work speak for itself. And, um, you know, this time period doesn't get a lot of love with women's wrestling. And a lot of it's based on the storylines and how they are portrayed. Um, but I thought the work in this match was solid, especially for the women's division in this time period. I mean, there's one point where Trista's really impressive, like step up victory roll. Like she steps up on Molly's thigh and just hops up there and does a victory roll. Like little things like that. It's like, wow, I didn't expect that from this match. Um, I said in my notes, I said Trish was working ahead of her time in a division still establishing itself as being more than just puppies. Like I wrote that in my notes because when you watch Trish work that match, like she was working, she was working better than the women that were at that time. Um, yeah. They were, it was a lot of the, the shock factor, the PG 13 stuff, like 
lingerie and bras and panties. And then you get somebody like Trish in there, somebody like a Victoria and you see women in there that are actually working. Like, let's not forget the Victoria held the, the light heavyweight title as a woman in a male division. Like there were some women coming out of this era that could actually work. And Trish was one of them. Molly was one of them, like not taking away from what she did in this match either. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Molly hits a, a brutal German suplex at some point. Uh, I think almost I think it like rung Trish's bell a little bit because she kicked out late. It was like a, a two and ten fifths count. I said the same thing. I said the ref had to pull his hand on the German by Molly. It looked like Trish was late on the kick out. Like I wrote that on my notes yeah. because I was like, that wasn't how that was supposed to happen. Like, no, for no. sure. You know, you could kind of tell when she got up, she was like a little woozy. But yeah, uh, ultimately, Molly goes for the Molly go round, which, of course, is the top rope spinning sent on, uh, but misses. But thank God she has that big fat ass to cushion her blow. And uh, Trish rolls her up. But then Molly counters with a roll up of her own. And like you said, holds the tights. And that gives Molly the one, two, three. And we have a new women's champion and the wholesome virginous Molly Holly. Uh, yeah, like we said, it was better than it had any right to be, I think. Yeah, it was surprisingly good. Uh, speaking of modern women's wrestling versus women's wrestling back then, they had super big parallels. Some matches were straight bangers, and then you had two people in the ring that you were convinced weren't exactly sure what a collar and elbow tie-up was. You know, So mm-hmm. this was one of the, the few, like, good soup moments of the air where you had two women in the ring that could do quality work when it could have been a lot worse than what we were given. Yeah. Yeah. Trish strikes me as somebody that's not like naturally athletic or like not naturally made to be a pro wrestler, but like she works so hard at it that she became very good at what she did. I thought. I think historically she's one of the best to to ever do it, especially coming out of that generation of wrestling. I'm not necessarily saying the best, but coming out of the Attitude Era into this ruthless aggression area, Trish was at the top of the list of female wrestlers at the time. Yeah, especially when you look at where we were last year, like in 2001, when there wasn't a woman, like China was the woman's champion, and then she left, and there was like a a big chunk of the year where the title wasn't even a part of the show. So we're coming out of that. So uh, it's progress. It's slow progress, but it's progress. Um, But we we have something next. Hulk Hogan versus Kurt Angle uh, or the, uh, the the fake American versus the real American, as Kurt would like you to uh, think, which as he's cutting this because Kurt cuts his promo before the before the match. And he's, he's making some good points because Kurt Angle went out there in the Olympics with a broken freaking neck. He beat some Iranian guy or like Iranian, right? Or Iraqi. Um, and he, he won a gold medal. And for for America, then Hulk Hogan was just scripted to be the American hero. So it's like, you know what, Kurt? I know you're the heel, uh, but you're making you're making a lot of sense here. Um, and that's essentially the backstory. I mean, you have these are basically two big stars um, who are kind of in the title picture. Hogan's just coming off of his title run. Uh, Kurt, uh, I believe he'll be in the main event at the next pay per view. So uh, two guys that are right on the cusp, almost like a number one contendership without really being one match. Um, to me, this match kind of just felt like a slightly better version of Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair, which sounds crazy, but that's kind of my impression of it. What about you? Um, I said, young Kurt is silly Kurt. Um, I said, angle in 2002 looks like Chad Gable in 2022 just leveled up. Like, yeah, uh, he's a bigger, he's stronger. He wrestles like Gable, but he just has that bigger, more, uh, I don't want to say defiant, 
look to him, but he has that big, he looks like he could manhandle somebody Brock Lesnar's size, or he could go in there and shoot wrestle somebody that looks like Chad Gable. That's who Kurt Angle was in 2022. So I feel like that's like where Chad Gable should be not the takeaway from what Gable is, but that was, that was my takeaway from it is like there, a lot of what Chad Gable is doing is like mimicking what angle was in 2022 or 2002 rather. Um, Mm -hmm. Same thing. Kurt Angle, Hollywood Hogan, Ric Flair, Eddie Guerrero. Two guys, when you look at the cards, you should see names and you would think this should be an absolute banger. But what you got were two guys doing their moves. Angle was able to do his stuff to to establish and like get himself going. And I'm going to say this, and I don't know where the conversation will go with you. Hulk Hogan did the most Hulk Hogan match you Hulk Hogan could have ever done. That's the only match he ever does. <laughs> uh, I wrote things like... Uh, bringing back the yellow and red was nostalgic, but Hogan's working safely like Hogan did. The quintessential example of playing the hits. Like, oh, look, Hogan's going to sleep. Predictable. Now he's waving his finger again. You know, like, Ooh. I feel like everything Hogan did in this match, once again, could have been predicted because you've seen 100 Hulk Hogan matches in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Although the finish, I think, was a bit of a twist on that, but we'll get to that. Um, but like you said, you see these names, you're like, wow, two of the best to ever do it should be a banger. Uh, but again, the crowd is just not that into it, uh, maybe outside of the, the finish, um, which kind of brings up, you know, or brings us back to what we were talking about in the beginning. This old shit ain't working. You know, Ric Flair, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Eddie Guerrero is not an old name at this point, but Ric Flair um, the main event with Triple H and Undertaker. Like it's we we keep rehashing this stuff. We keep trying to pull from the past, but the crowd just is not not taken to it. And I think that's what really sparks the ruthless aggression era. Because it's it's like I said, it's just like a literally the next night, it's like everything gets flipped on its head. Um but uh that being said, there were some good parts of this match. You have uh Kurt hitting the angle slam for a two count, and then you Oh man, the Hulk up. Oh, I can't believe he's he's recovered. Oh, what you gonna do? Uh, bubble the love sponge. But and then he so he gets up, he uh he hits the boot, or I'm not I'm sorry, the punches onto Kurt Angle, big boot. Um, but instead of hitting the leg drop, because I'm sure you thought a leg drop is coming, uh he opts, and by I don't think I mentioned this, uh Kurt, he he recently just lost his hair to edge in the hair versus hair match, but he's out here with this ridiculous wig and the, uh, the headgear do cuts and did this on NXT recently, like to a T. Um, but Hogan, instead of going for the leg drop opts to take the wig off a of Kurt angle, exposing that ridiculous bald head, which is always funny to me. Everybody's laughing at Kurt angle and his bald head, which now in hindsight, that's like the majority of his career as bald. Um, so that's kind of just, it's funny in hindsight, but Kurt Angle, he's 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 embarrassed. He doesn't want his bald head being exposed and he just walks away. He's like, I'm done with this. He walks. He starts walking towards the back. Hogan in the ring takes the wig, puts it on, starts mocking Kurt and Kurt will have none of this. So as he's at the top of the ramp, he grabs a chair and sprints towards the ring Swings the chair at Hogan, misses, and then the chair rebounds off the ropes, and Kurt hits himself in the face with this chair, gets the big boot, and Hogan goes for the leg drop, but Kurt, with a beautiful counter, grabs the leg as it's coming down, locks in the ankle lock, and Hulk Hogan 
taps out to the ankle lock, which I think there was a little bit of because uh, Hogan technically got to the ropes, but then Kurt pulled him away from it. You can hear Hogan. He's literally saying, I got to the ropes, brother. Oh, I got to the ropes. Um, so there's a kind of like visual like, oh, he should have let go kind of thing. But ultimately, Hogan taps out, which is crazy because I don't know if he had ever tapped out before this, had he? No, not up to this point. I wrote down it was a great finish. That was the best part about the match. And it was the build to Hogan tapping that got it. The mm-hmm. leg drop into the ankle lock, the no rope break, the kick out, then the reversal into the rope break. Then he rolls out. And this whole time, it's just various ways for Angle to hold on to the ankle. So the last 35 seconds of the match were some of the most exciting points of the entire match was leading up to that finish, getting yep. Hogan to tap out. I feel like the heel pop that Angle got at the end of the match for a bad guy, bad guy winning the match seemed pretty great, you know, because at yeah. this point, like, it seemed like he did a good job. If this was Hogan giving a young Angle the rub or whatever you want to look at it, like, that it was a good way to do it. But in my opinion, I feel like Hulk Hogan never, after 1987, Hulk Hogan never really pushed himself. Yeah. I said it. I, I would, yeah. I mean, with the exception of the heel turn, I, oh, I don't know if you say that that's pushing himself, but maybe that's like escaping his uh, his comfort zone. You know, his, I'll give his him comfort that. zone, maybe. Yeah, but I feel like everything after Hulk after after WrestleMania three slamming Andre, I feel like everything after that point was just him playing the hits. I felt like he was one of the greatest to ever do it. He's a great talker on the mic. The man can work. But this is the this is the example that you can give somebody when you're like, if you're going to watch one Hulk Hogan match and then walk and watch another Hulk Hogan match, watch this one and then watch Hogan Rock at WrestleMania 18. Two very different matches, two very different outcomes. But when you think about what was happening, Hulk Hogan did the exact same moves in both matches. Yeah. Yeah, and on my podcast, I cover old school WCW as well. And in 1995, he's doing the same shit with Brutus Beefcake and Vader and all that stuff. So uh, to your point, that's very accurate. Very accurate. But I guess, you know, in his mind, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I suppose. But uh, at this point, the crowd was still into Hogan. So you can't really knock him too much for that. Um, But (laughs) we get so uh, Booker T's backstage. And uh, Goldust walks in, who is uh, he, he, he has a rock shirt on and he painted his head black to mimic the rock's hair. Do I can't do this segment justice. I would just <laughs> recommend anybody. Uh, you, I'm sure this is on YouTube. Go look up uh, King of the Ring, uh, Rock, Booker T, Goldust. Th- this segment was fucking hilarious. You have Goldust impersonating the rock you have booker t being the perfect foil for gold dust um and as gold dust is mimicking the rock you have the rock walk in and uh he's like telling gold dust to stop jerking himself off and stuff like that i'm paraphrasing uh but <laughs> he's uh rock's base he's basically here to establish that he's here uh to watch the main event and uh we will have more on that later but Booker T and Goldust, man. This this is just gold every single time, I think. Uh, Literally, I was like, uh, Dustin and Booker together, when you look at what Goldust was, you look at where Booker T was. I feel like the trio of those three on screen together was perfect because The Rock can talk to a brick wall and make it sound good. So putting Mm -hmm. him in there with two other guys who can talk 
is great. And I know Gold Dust and the Dustin in the Dustin character before Gold Dust and after WWF, he doesn't get a lot of credit for being a great talker on the mic. They they say he never he never talked as well as his dad did. You know what I mean? And I feel like as the Gold Dust character playing somebody who was very out there gave him a chance to break that mold and gave him a chance to not have to be Dustin Rhodes anymore. It gave him a chance mm-hmm. to be Gold Dust. So I feel like that was a, a that opportunity for him to break that mold and get out there and play these outlandish characters. And he eventually changed the gimmick around to the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. And then it was, you know, you involved as like in the late 90s, you involved his wife with the story. I feel like as a whole character, you know, you have three different versions of Dustin Rhodes, Dustin before Gold Dust, Gold Dust and everything after the Gold Dust character. Yeah, no. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Gold Dust. Yeah, people don't think of him as like a good Mike guy just because his character is so outlandish, but he really is. Um, I almost put him on the same level with somebody like Kane. Like Kane's a great talker, but you don't really think of it because he's always at least early in his career. He was just like Kane, stuff like that. But you would see like later in his career, we would have more like long promos. You would see his skills. So I kind of put Goldust on that same level, too. Um, But uh, after that. We have the finals of the King of the Ring tournament, Brock Lesnar versus Rob Van Dam. So to sum up this match, Brock Lesnar dominates. Rob Van Dam gets a quick flurry in at the end, doing his normal Rob Van Dam things. The uh, the rolling thunder. He even hits the five star frog splash. Uh, but Heyman, once again, uh, interferes, throats Rob Van Dam on the top rope. Um, but ultimately Rob Van Dam, he, uh, he hits a springboard. He goes for a springboard roundhouse kick, but Brock Lesnar catches him in a fireman's carry position, lifts him up and hits the F five for the win. So your King of the ring in 2002 is Brock Lesnar. And he is moving on to SummerSlam to challenge for the undisputed title. Um, yeah, like I said, it just seemed like, I guess it's kind of capitalizing on the, uh, the beat down that RVD received from Jericho. Didn't really seem like he got a lot of offense in, in this match, but again, Brock came out looking like a monster. So, um, notes for me on this one. I like the Heyman RVD connection commentary. made sure to bring that up. So that was kind of a, a playback to hit, yeah. uh, uh, little Nate, Charles Robinson. It was kind of cool to see him come over. Uh, shortly after the the invasion angle in 01. So that was kind of cool to see him early on in a WWF ring. Um, like you said, Heyman, interfer- Heyman interferes. So five of seven matchers featured interference on this card. <laughs> uh, just the, to yep. keep the running. Uh, Lesnar catches RVD, F5, 1, 2, 3. Like you said, he wins the king of the ring. This was also another match where we knew Lesnar was going to win. We watched the match, but he still let RVD get over which says something to where Lesnar was at at this point, because we know Lesnar as a person was very, he wasn't a wrestling guy yet. He was coming in, he was playing a character, he was making his money and that's what he wanted to do. But he still gave us quality matches, even with both of them being under the 10 minute mark. You know, Mm -hmm. he still allowed some of these guys to get over, even though he knew I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to pound you. I'm going to F5 you. I'm going to go home. You know, he yep. still allowed the the five star. He still allowed the rolling thunder, the split leg moonsault. We still saw everything that made an RVD match an RVD match. But Brock Lesnar still got the win. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point. Yeah. This is a period where Brock Lesnar was having really good matches. Um, if you want a random for you or anybody listening, a random great match 
That doesn't sound like a great match, but it is. It's Brock Lesnar versus Bubba Ray Dudley on just a random ass Raw. I forget what the date was. It was like in May or something, but it was just a really good match. It didn't seem like <laughs> it should have been. Um, we, we talked about Brock versus Tess. So Brock was, I mean, he was the guy. I mean, there was, you, you look at him visually. He's just a cartoon character just crazy athletic and alone uh, as we're seeing today, the dude can talk too. So, I mean, he was money from the start. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, speaking of money, we have a faction that had made a bit of money in the past, the NWO throw them up. So we have, uh, we have, uh, Kevin Nash, Shawn Michaels, big show and, uh, X-Pac. Of course, because that's who we think of when we think of the NWO, those four. Um, so Triple H is walking through the hall and he runs into these four. Actually, he first runs into Shawn Michaels, which is a fun little face off, because I think this is the first face off that they've had. Shawn is very recently returned to the company. Weird to see him just return as a part of the NWO and in a time where the NWO, because Hogan obviously isn't a part of it anymore. He's doing his own thing. Scott Hall. Uh, just recently left this, this we're off the heels off the plane ride from hell. So he was fired after that. Um, Kevin Nash is about to go down with the quad injury, I believe. And then you have big show there and Xbox just hanging around a weird state of the NWO. Do you have any memories of, of this iteration of it at this point? Uh, this is you're branching into that point for me. I'm an NWO purist. So when I think, I think black and white, you know, bash at the beach, 1996 NWO. Virgil. When you see the, yeah. When you get to this point of the NWO, I liken it to where the bullet club is at, because if you think about, and I know the bullet club is a, a Japanese copy of the NWO and I'm, I'm paraphrasing when I say that, but that's ultimately what new Japan did was no, absolutely, you know, for sure. But when you look at it, you know, they're a long way away from Prince Devitt and Finn Balor with the good brothers running it back then to where you're at now, where there's like 12 different sub factions inside of it. And I feel like this is that version of the NWO when you've had like 40 members so far, like it's hard for you. Everybody's a, you're a member of the NWO, right? Like I'm a member <laughs> yeah. of the NWO, like the people in the kitchen right now are members of the NWO. Like that's mm-hmm. how big it got by this point. I feel like anybody wearing a black and white shirt, you just assumed were NWO. Yeah. And it was cr- like, you'd be watching a raw and it's, you'd hear the NWO music. You're like, oh, the NWO is coming out. And then you have like a Booker T, Big Show, and X Pac walk out. It's like, what? What are we? What are we doing here? <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, they're basically, you know, you have Nash and Shawn Michaels, X Pac there. So there's obviously the click connection with Triple H. So they're all happy. They're hugging. Um, and then Triple H is in the main event. So they're like, hey, brother, if you need help out there, you just throw it up. And then Triple H is like, yeah, OK, um, they just walk away. And then we don't really get a follow up on that. I don't think until obviously the Sean Triple H uh, feud that we get uh, in the summer. So but um, that brings us to the main event. The undisputed titles on the line. We got the champion of The Undertaker versus Triple H. And, uh, man, <laughs> the, uh, there's a lot of shenanigans at play here. Um, and I was, I, I was watching this show, man. I'm watching this match and I'm like, this, this might be a ridiculous question to ask. I'm going to ask you this. It's is triple H good. Like I'm thinking of like 
over the year, like how many matches he's had. I'm like trying to think of how many match Triple H matches that I can really point to. That's, oh, that's a really good Triple H match. I just I just don't feel like there's that many with the amount of matches that he's had. Well, I'm going to put this hat on and this is a, a conspiracy theory that I've talked about in the past and I'll say it again here. So I'll bring it up. Triple H is good by proxy. Triple H was good because he needed to be that person when they needed him. He is the ultimate example of a placeholder champion. Yeah, he might have 10 reigns or whatever it is, but think about when Triple H was reigning as champion, there wasn't a Rock, there wasn't an Austin, there wasn't a Flair, there wasn't a Hogan. These were times when Triple H had no choice but to be the guy, and he just happened to be married to the boss's daughter. I mean, I'll call it what it is. Triple H was good, but he was never, he's not on my list of goats. I'll say that he might be top 15, 20, but I wouldn't put him top 10. I definitely wouldn't put him top 10 all time. Yeah, I I think he's a great character. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great, he has a presence to him that you can't teach. That's super valuable. Great on the mic. I mean, his stuff with DX, his stuff with evolution, um, all that stuff. I mean, even like the re- some of the recent stuff that he, he he's done with like, um, you know, the Undertaker and stuff, not the, not the Saudi Arabia stuff, but like the, the WrestleMania matches with the Undertaker and stuff like that were great. So I feel like he can have a good match. I feel like in general, it has to involve a lot of plunder, a lot of shenanigans, a lot of hoo-ha, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't know, man, I, I'm, I'm watching and him and Undertaker, like, I mean, I just brought up their recent WrestleMania match. I reckon it's probably like a decade ago at this point, but um, <laughs> in comparison to this, it's recent, but it's, it's Undertaker versus Triple H. I feel like the, this match, it was two guys trying too hard to be methodical in a situation where the crowd just wasn't wanting that. And I don't think it really paid off in a way that they intended it to. Um, it's overall thoughts on this match to me. I mean, we'll get to the finish, I suppose. But I guess in the lead up to it, did, what, do you have any notes or thoughts on that? Um, I'm going to be honest, man, and I hate to be a a broken record, but I think you can attest to it for this entire pay-per-view. It's two names on paper that should be phenomenal. And instead we got a 10 to 15 minute, just okay ish style match guys doing their moves, doing what you wanted to. We saw, you know, choke slams. We saw last strides, you know, but we saw, but looking over it, some of my notes were Taker's title reigns always seemed important. Four WWF titles, three heavyweight titles, blah, blah, blah. This one, for some reason, didn't have that same lore to it. At, not at mm. this point, not in this match. It didn't seem as important for Taker to be the champion as it did in previous incarnations when he's held the belt. Agreed. It almost seemed like an afterthought for the Taker character at this point. It seemed like Taker was doing his thing and he just happened to stumble upon the title. That's kind of the impression I got. I think the American Badass Undertaker is a great version of him, but he's not the best version of him to hold the belt. I feel like the purple and black Undertaker we saw when he held the title then was a great version of it. When he held the winged eagle, it was a great version of it. But him holding the undisputed title is one of those situations where we got him holding the belt because they really didn't have a whole lot of other options of people to hold the belt. We got an Undertaker Triple H main event, you know, before SummerSlam because all they had was Triple H and Undertaker. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And like we said, Stone Cold's out. Uh, the rock, I mean, he had left to do movies, so he's kind of has one foot out the door already. Um, 
they're just hurting for main event guys and undertaker and triple H just happen to be two guys that haven't faced each other in a while. So let's throw them in the main event, let's put the title on the line. That's kind of what the, the general uh, backstory was. So, um, and I should mention that Paul Heyman is ringside uh, at the commentary table. And uh, because his associate Brock Lesnar, who just won the King of the ring and he's going to challenge for the title at SummerSlam, uh, so in theory, Brock Lesnar is going to face the winner of this match, which we all know isn't the case. Um, but that's kind of the story here. And um, the match is what it is. I mean, you anybody listening, it's, it's exactly what you would imagine. It's a lot of brawling. It's a lot of outside stuff. It's, you know, spine busters, choke slams, what have you. Um, and the match, <laughs> the crowd's kind of dead for most of it, like the first 10 minutes or so. Uh, but then you have a snake eyes by the Undertaker and then Triple H just pops out of it with a high knee and that kind of wakes up the crowd. And then this is where all this shit is a lot of shit that happens here. Feel free to interrupt me if you, <laughs> if you need to. So Earl Hebner gets his fucking ass kicked. So Earl Hebner, he gets uh, somebody gets catapulted. I think Triple H gets catapulted into the corner and squashes Hebner. And uh, so Hebner's reeling. He's about to go down. And then Taker goes for a clothesline onto Triple H. But Triple H ducks. And then Taker clotheslines Hebner. So Hebner's dead for, I don't know, a half hour or so. Uh, <laughs> out comes The Rock. <laughs> Music and all. So The Rock comes out. The crowd loves it. They're like, oh, God, thank you for something exciting happening. So The Rock comes out. And uh, I should mention, because Heyman was on commentary. And Heyman's going on about how, oh, backstage, Brock Lesnar, he walked up to The Rock and slapped him across the face. And The Rock just ran away and drove out of here. Uh, he said, you know, Brock Lesnar, he punked out The Rock. He's going on and on about this. He, uh, that's one thing about this match. Paul Heyman wouldn't shut the hell up about Brock Lesnar, which is fine. I guess, you know, it's driving that point home that he's challenging for the title. But um, so he's going on and on about that. Rock comes out, goes immediately after Heyman. Heyman hops the barricade and just runs out through the crowd. It's hilarious. Um, crowd must have been confused because, like I said, this is all on commentary, so they don't know any of this. And to put it in perspective, not to cut you off, like when you, yeah, you yeah. With the way you're describing it is one thing, but when you're watching it from Hebner taking the catapult bump to the clothesline to where you're talking about is like bam, 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 bam. It's one right after the another, right mm -hmm. after another. So I even wrote down the same words you said, here comes the rock. Goodbye, Paul. Like those were my notes yeah. for that. Like five seconds of the match was because rock came out, Paul Heyman tucked tail and ran through the crowd. And then it starts going into the back half of the match. And I feel like introducing Nick Patrick and the second referee and everything you, you said it best when you were like the, the main event of this match was like, a hat on top of a hat on top of a hat because one thing happened, then something happened because yep. of that, then something happened because of that, because of that. And that was the story of how this match built to the finish. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like they're building to a triple threat between Rock, Triple H, and Undertaker, which in reality, at Vengeance, it's Rock, Undertaker, and Kurt Angle. So I don't know if it was like a pivot or if that just, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's, that's what it seemed like to me watching this. Um, so to set the scene here, you know, Triple H and Undertaker and Earl Hebner are all dead in the ring. Uh, the Rock's here, and he gets on commentary to clarify that Brock Lesnar did no such thing. He did not slap The Rock. He did not slap the people's champion. You know, he says that Paul Heyman should find the people's salad. Um, and uh, Triple H 
and Undertaker, uh, yeah, Triple H and Undertaker, they they get up eventually. They fight to the outside, and then out of out of nowhere, for no reason, uh, Undertaker just gives the Rock a big boot <laughs> as he's on commentary, <laughs> knocks him into the Spanish commentary team. Uh, just very rude of uh, Undertaker, if I could say so. But um, Undertaker, yeah, Taker, he he grabs a chair, he swings it at Triple H. Or he goes to swing at a Triple H, but the Rock is back up. He grabs the chair, and uh, Rock goes to hit Taker in the head with this chair, but Undertaker ducks, and Rock hits Triple H in the face with it, busting him wide open. So, um, and then Undertaker throws the Rock face first into the ring post, taking him out of commission for a bit. Uh, back in the ring, Triple H is recovering from that chair shot. Like I said, he's bleeding. Undertaker's able to hit the last ride onto Triple H. And right on cue, in comes Nick Patrick. You know, right as Undertaker's about to pin Triple H. Uh, there's a one, two, kick out. Um, it's clearly Nick Patrick's fault. So Undertaker decides to clock Nick Patrick, knock him out. And uh, then in comes The Rock again. Uh, he gives right hands to Undertaker, gives Undertaker a rock bottom. And then... Uh, and Rock pretty much just skedaddles after that. And then uh, Triple, <laughs> Triple H in his slow motion crawl to Undertaker, which it, uh, I guess he's, he's selling great. It's fine. It is just funny how slowly Triple H. Uh, God, I got him. And then Paul or, uh, uh, Earl Hebner, even slower, gets up. Even slower makes a count. The, it was a two count, right? So he, it's a one, two kick out. Might have been 20 seconds worth of, of pinfall there. Um, so in my notes, I even mentioned that you, when you watch the playback, you can see Undertaker's eyes open up and it's almost like he's laying there just waiting because it <laughs> did seem like it took so long for that yeah. count to happen. And I understand dramatic sell and getting the point across and getting over. But this was one of those times where this pay-per-view, when I said it earlier, like it almost felt like they needed to land the plane. Like I felt like we yeah. were even for a match that was as short as it was when these two guys could have put on a 30 minute banger, the 15 minutes, 16 minutes that we got in this, this finale seemed like it was twice as long for half the work. Was this only 15 minutes? It felt like goddamn 45 minutes when I was watching. I remember it. checking my timestamp. I might be off. I think including entrances and everything were less than 20 minutes on the main event. Okay. Yeah. So for, for just full transparency, I watched this last night and uh, I fell asleep like five minutes into this match. I was like, I looked at the timestamp. <laughs> I saw how much time was left. I was like, there ain't no way in hell that I'm finishing this today. So I had to like watch it this morning. But that being said, um, the finish gave you a lot to uh, stay awake for because we have all this, all this shit in against happening. And uh, Triple H, Undertaker, they slowly get up. Triple H hits a huge pedigree. Uh, props to Undertaker for the sell. That was a beautiful sell of the pedigree. Um, Triple H makes the pin. Now all of a, all of a sudden, Earl Hebner he has a kink in his neck and he can't make the pin. Uh, so Triple H just you know, grabs Hebner. Is like, God damn it, pal, you know, make the pin. Uh, this gives Undertaker an opportunity to hit a low blow onto Triple H. Gives him a schoolboy with the tights pulled. I feel like we've this is a broken record. I feel like we've seen this 12 times tonight. Um, and that's what gives Undertaker the victory, uh, a roll up with the tights. And uh, as, as dusty finish as a dusty finish gets, uh, 
Um, but as if that's not enough, The Rock's back out there. He's pissed because he didn't want to see The Undertaker win. Undertaker's talking shit because Taker's in the ring. Rock's up on the stage. Taker's talking shit to The Rock. Rock sprints in the ring, gives Taker a spine buster and then a people's elbow. And then Triple H, because he's still pissed about the chair shot from earlier, Triple H gives The Rock a pedigree. But then Undertaker's back up and then he gives the Triple H a choke slam. And that's how the show ends. And if you're listening to this and you're like, man, that's a pretty confusing uh, collection of of words that you just said, Kyle. Well, I'll tell you this. It's just as confusing if you watch it. So uh, a lot going on here. But Undertaker walks out on top, I suppose. If that's really what you want to call it. My notes read rock looks on. Taker has something to say. Here comes the rock duking it out. People's elbow off the hard camera, which I thought was a cool angle to do it because he didn't do it like he typically did it at that point. When you looked at the way he ran, his rope uh, running the ropes were towards and away from the hard camera versus left to right on the hard camera. So that was kind of a cool like approach to it. Um, Good pay-per-view. I started to write closing notes and then boom, pedigree out of nowhere. Okay, now we're closing. Nope, choke slam on Triple (laughs) H. Now are we done, question mark? Like, I feel like every time I started to write my closing remarks, somebody else did a finish. It was like, here's a finish. Nope. Here's a finish. Nope. Here's a finish. And it was just like, bam, bam, bam. That was, it was a very chaotic way to end the (laughs) pay-per-view. Yeah. And you said it earlier. It's like, they didn't know when to land the plane. And it just Mm -hmm. feels like that finish is just like a, a microcosm of where we were here with WWE is just they're throwing stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks and nothing's really sticking. So it's like, let's get some new sticky stuff and throw it at the wall. I don't know, but you know, sticky stuff called John Cena. There it is. He's <laughs> the stickiest. John Cena is the stickiest after all. Um, but yeah, man, that brings King of the ring. O two to a close. Any other overall thoughts on the, uh, the show that we watched? I would say this is the the good, not great King of the Ring. You look at the card by the names, it should have been phenomenal. It could have been a much larger pay-per-view than a King of the Ring, but the way it was delivered just kind of left me wanting. This would be a very solid, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed great. Yeah, it's, um, we've said it a bunch. It's the end of the Attitude Era in a lot of ways. And it's almost like it's not like a, a fiery car crash of a finish. It's like a very it's like they ran out of gas and it just petered out. And that's kind of a lot of what this show is. It's just running out of gas. There were some good elements of it. Like we said, Brock Lesnar, clearly a star. Uh, you know, Jericho RVD was great. There are some shades of greatness on this show, but it was definitely like you get the impression that we need to shake up after this. And boy, howdy, do we get it the very night after. But um, but yeah, the show, I mean, this last match, I mean, there were some spots that were botched and a lot of chair shots. But speaking of, oh, yeah, speaking of which the botched spots and chair shots podcast. Well, thank you once again for making the time to watch the show. Um, you know, rewatch the Molly Holly match a couple times, whatever you did, uh, you know, uh, to get to prepare for this show. But uh, been a great time. Where can everybody find you and uh, your podcast? Uh, you can find me at the Will Gray on Twitter. Uh, make sure you follow Botch Bots and Share Shots pretty much anywhere you do anything on the internet. Uh, Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We pretty much anywhere you do everything. So like, follow, subscribe there. Uh, we do episodes on Wednesday launch 
Uh, so you can always check us out. We're on the Smacked Raw brand at Smacked Raw Pod on Spotify and Apple. So you can check us out there and on YouTube at uh, Botch Bots and Chair Shots. Hell yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think I've had pretty much everybody else on the Smacked Raw podcast on here, too. So glad to tie the loop with you. But we uh, just we just joined. Uh, this was my second episode. The one that dropped today's Thursday. So the one that dropped yesterday on Wednesday was my second episode on the Smacked Raw podcast network. So it's cool to, to get in with Kyle and uh, Bama and RN and those guys. Awesome. Yeah. Good group of guys over there. So you, you're uh, you're in a good crew for sure. Um, but yeah, once again, man, thanks for coming on. It's been a good time. Thanks, man. It was a pleasure to uh, chatting about some wrestling and taking a look at some King of the Ring. Once again, thank you to the chef, Will, from the Botched Spots and Chair Shots podcast for joining me on this magical journey of King of the Ring 2002. Go check out his podcast. All of the information for him, for Will, and for myself, all in this, all in the description below. Apronbump.com for all of my full episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts. I mean, you're listening on something now, so just keep doing that, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> yeah, rate rate my podcast, review it. Uh, if it's positive, if it's negative, you can just shove it up your own urethra, um, or whatever you know, genitals, you uh, fallopian tubes. But um, speaking of fallopian tubes, I have to get out of here. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I just start sentences. I don't know how I'm going to finish them. Um, I don't think anybody ever listens to this part of the podcast anyway. So it's like I can really just take my clothes off and start docking with the webcam so uh but you'll have to check out the youtube to see that content uh what a plugger i am huh really what a what a what a, what a advertiser I, i've become here uh <laughs> okay we're done here thank you guys so much for listening i love you all if i could if i could if i could give all of you a hugs and and stroke all of your hairs well probably wouldn't do that because that'd probably be a little um i mean you know with with the consent you know i okay um where's my shovel i need to keep digging this hole uh what about my holes can i just say anything without making an asshole joke probably not huh well i'm gonna get out of here uh yeah i got i got a split i got a thing um (laughs) thank you guys so much for listening uh, I'm sleepy and hungry. I'm hard.